Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. I hope you've been having a good day. I'm looking forward to spending time with you today. I'm excited to once again talk to Clay Craby. He uh, runs Reasonable Theology. It's a a wonderful resource just to help everyday Christians like you and me uh, study theology. And he loves to present uh, doctrine, sound doctrine, in plain language. So he is a breath of fresh air, and he's with us right now. Clay, welcome. Thanks for having me back on. Always a pleasure to talk with you. Yeah, I haven't talked to you in a while. It's nice to hear your voice again. Absolutely. It's good to be with you. Yeah, thank you. So whenever we get uh, people together and there's a group prayer, if anybody just closes the prayer with amen, there's usually that, "Uh uh-oh, did that prayer count? (laughs) Because if it wasn't prayed in Jesus' name, does it still count? So I guess the question I want to pose you today is, what does it really mean to pray in Jesus' name? Yeah, and it's it's an important question. You see in Scripture so many times that we're instructed to do lots of things in Jesus' name. Um, you see in in by example too things that happen in Scripture that are done in Jesus' name, whether it's uh, casting out demons. I'm not suggesting that's on our to do list, but uh, you see these things done by the disciples, and whether it's um, baptism in Jesus' name, justification is in Jesus' name, all of these things. And of course, we're we're called to pray in Jesus' name. You get verses like. Colossians 3.17, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. And John, uh, Jesus, in the book of John, tells his disciples, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And surprisingly, some people misuse these verses, uh, and they kind of turn God into their, their cosmic concierge, if you will, and, mm-hmm. and he has to do Whatever you want, if you just tack on in Jesus' name, amen, at the end. And so that's certainly what it doesn't mean, but it it begs the question, you know, what does it really mean? And it's an important question, something that I think, unfortunately, a lot of us Christians, we don't really think about all that much. Yeah, exactly, Clay. So let's talk uh, a little bit about what does it mean to pray in his name? Absolutely. So when we think about what it means to pray in Jesus' name, the first thing that I would want people to realize is that it means that we approach God based on Christ's merit and not our own. All of us as Christians are in Christ. That's a really important concept. I I believe you and I had a chance to talk about it a, a few times, a few conversations ago about that unity in Christ. So in Christ is an important concept. It really means that we are united to him. And without Christ, our own names have no power, no privilege, no right to approach the throne of God at all, much less with requests. So the example I like to give is if an FBI agent comes pounding on your door, he doesn't yell, open up, this is Carl. No, he yells, <laughs> yells open up, FBI, because Carl's name doesn't get the same response as the name of the organization he represents, the name of the FBI, because apart from that authority, Carl can't just come banging on your door and tell you to open up. And now that's a silly example, but you get the idea. 
apart from the name of Jesus Christ, you and I, any other Christian, we have no standing to enter into the courts of God and, and bring our requests to him. But when we have a right understanding of who we are in Christ, uh, we'll be astonished that we can that we can go into God's presence with our petitions because he is holy and we aren't. Uh, but because we are in Christ, because we are united to him, we can, as the writers of Hebrews says, we can dr- with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And we do that because we are in Christ. So that's the first thing is when we pray in Jesus' name, what we're really doing is admitting that apart from Christ, we have no standing to speak with God the Father, and we're really rejoicing in the fact that through our Savior, we can speak directly with our Creator, and what a tremendous truth that is. So uh, Clay Craby is my guest. He is uh, at reasonabletheology.org. You can head over there and uh, learn a lot about his uh, writings and uh, this exact article we're talking about today, which is posted at reasonabletheology.org. So sometimes when you say in Jesus' name, I think there's some uh, folks that would think I have just obligated God now to answer my prayer the way in which I have asked. And and clearly, I think of Jesus in the garden as, Father, not my will, but thy will be done. So how do we blend those two together? Yeah, absolutely. And that really brings us into this second important aspect of what it means when we pray in Jesus' name. The first one, again, is just that we're, we're praying on account of His merit, His worthiness, not our own. The second part is that when we pray in Jesus' name, it means we're seeking to please Him and not ourselves. Ooh. So if you think in you know medieval times, and there's a messenger from the king, and he, he acts or he speaks as if he is the king. He comes in the king's authority, but he doesn't act outside the authority that has been granted to him. And, and that's true of our position in Christ. We're approaching God in the name of our King, and so we dare not request things that Jesus himself would not desire for us. And so when we come with requests before God, we recognize that, that we're approaching him in prayer. Well, we ought to seek the same things that our Savior seeks, and we want to put our own personal desires behind his. And that doesn't mean we never pray for things that, that we want and the things that we feel we need, but we give the right priority to, to spiritual things, to things that, um, that, that Christ would have us seek. And of course, we never ask for things that would not please God and, and please our Savior. You know, in, in 1 John 5, 14 to 15, it tells us that this is the confidence that we have toward Him. If we ask anything according to His will— he hears us, and that's a really important part of what it means. We're, we're approaching in Jesus' name. We're coming in uh, you know, as, as co-heirs of Christ, and we're united to him, and we're asking things according to his will. That's kind of the controlling element of that promise about praying in his name, and that's the important thing that we don't want to lose sight of in our prayers. Clay, you struck a really good nerve uh, a couple sentences ago when you said that we go pray in Jesus' name as a way to uh, delight him and to bring glory to him. Because I always uh, would say that most people, when they pray, they have an agenda for themselves, and they're really hoping and praying God will be cooperating with it. Yeah, and that's an, uh, that's an important element. When people are praying, 
uh, or even thinking about the concept of prayer, it's often difficult to picture really what is going on here. Am I, am I causing God to change his mind? Am I influencing God's will in my prayers? Is, is he waiting for, you know, information and requests from me before deciding how to, you know, weigh all his options and then choose? And of course, that doesn't fit with, with our concept of a sovereign, all-knowing God. That's not what's going on. Really what we're seeing in prayer, it's, it's uh, I cannot remember where I heard this illustration, some preacher somewhere along the line, but he said, prayer's like a man in a rowboat, and he's, and he's pulling on a rope tied securely to the shore, and he's not pulling the land towards him. He's pulling himself towards the land. And that's kind of the picture of what our prayer lives are like. As we, as we grow deeper and richer in our prayer lives, our prayers are constantly becoming more and more lined up with what God's will is. And as you just touched on, uh, more and more that means we're praying for things that, that explicitly, directly praying for God's glory and for his name to be glorified and not our own, not strictly just our desires that we bring. Mm-hmm. I know that we always or most of the time we close with, in Jesus' name, we seem to kind of uh, fly through that at the end. Uh, talk about the impact of those words, and maybe if we say them quickly, we're, we're robbing ourselves of some of the impact of what those words should mean. Yeah, absolutely. So often, and we can catch ourselves doing it too, where we end a prayer and we just say, in Jesus' name, amen. And it, and it almost becomes like three syllables by the time we, we kind of get it all <laughs> yeah. rolling out of our mouths there. And that just shows that we're maybe not thinking about the implications of this as much as we should, because uh, Christ made it clear that when we pray in His name, we're gonna uh, we're gonna ask that God's name be glorified, and he, and he makes that clear what that looks like. And so, when you think of what the implications are of these things, there's really three that I would touch on, and and the first is to really be mindful of the importance of power behind the words in Jesus' name as we close our prayers. No, it's not a, a magical phrase that causes God to do what you want. That's not it at all. But when we say it, we ought to reflect on the glorious truth that in the gospel, in Christ, we have the privilege of approaching God directly. And so we don't want to rush through these words in our prayers. We want to recognize how fitting it is to bring our prayers before God under the banner of Christ's name. So that, that's the first thing that I'd really want to get across to folks. And, you know, secondly, um, if we want to improve the nature of our prayers, uh, as Don Whitney sometimes says, you know, we often pray the same old things about the same old things, and we feel like we get in these ruts. But when we seek to match the nature of the one in whose name we bring our prayers, that is, when we seek to have our prayers be for what Christ wants for us and for this world and for others, that's really going to alter the way we pray. So rather than simply bringing God a to-do list when we pray, we're starting to commune with the Father. We're offering praise. We're bringing Him pleas that further His kingdom, further His glory, and, and do His will and His work. And then thirdly, I think we want to make sure that we don't neglect prayer in our daily lives. Uh, if we really focus on what it means to be able to pray in Jesus' name, and really, uh, and not in a, a prosperity gospel sense, but there are promises here to be to be had about when we pray in Jesus' name and we do so according to his will. He hears us. He answers us. We don't want to make light of that, and we certainly don't want to um, make light or or not take up God's invitation to pray to him about all things. 
Mm-hmm. Clay, I don't know if I heard this or if it was taught to me or if this came on my own, I mean, prompted by the Holy Spirit, but I will often pray, and I've been doing this for 35-plus years, I will start a prayer by saying, Heavenly Father, I come to you today in the name of Jesus. I usually start that way. Yeah, I think it. Uh, we as Christians uh, often make things more formulaic than I think the Bible ever does. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we, we come to God in reverence. Um, we, we do so in the name of Christ. There's, there's lots of things the Bible prescribes, but I, I don't think it is uh, written that you always have to end and only mention Jesus at the end of your prayer. I think you can introduce at the beginning. Um, it doesn't have a ton of say, to say about what you're doing with your hands and your eyes and all those things right. at the time. So I think that's one of those things where we, we're so around it all the time, and it's just so normal that we kind of, again, tack it on at the end, uh, and unfortunately, sometimes unthinkingly. So absolutely, intro, introduce, start off your prayers in yeah. that way, I think is is perfectly appropriate. Yeah, I start and end that way, just so you know. Clay Crapey's my guest. We're going to take a little break, and we come back, we're going to chew on this some more. This is a great topic, praying in Jesus' name. You can learn more about Clay and see this article, which is up at his website. It's reasonabletheology.org, reasonabletheology.org. Clay Crabby's my guest. We'll be right back. Acts 4.12 says, Salvation is to be found in Him alone. In all the world, there is no other name by which you can be saved. The demons were powerless because of the name of Jesus, and we see Him uh, cast them out uh, in His name in Mark 16. We're talking to Clay Craby, and we're talking about what does it mean to really pray in Jesus' name. He is the author of ReasonableTheology.org, a wonderful website. If you've not been there, check it out. So, Clay, are, are we supposed to pray for any and all things? Just uh, focus on exactly the will of God, or can we also pray for Aunt Lorraine's bunion surgery? That, that's right. Uh, I heard one, one pastor joking about how so many of their prayer meetings just became an organ recital because it was just uh, praying for this or that uh-huh. organ. Right. And, and, and that's easily uh, easy for us to kind of fall into, but there's nothing wrong with that. You know, we talked a bit ago— about the importance of praying in the will of God. You know, in John 6, 38, Jesus said, For I've come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And then it goes on right after that to explain, okay, what is the will of the, of the Father, the one who sent him? It says, And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So on the one hand, that that clarifies some of those promises about uh, praying in, in God's in Jesus' name, and then God will give you what you're, you're praying for. On the other hand, it introduces the question you just asked is, okay, does that mean I should only ever pray for what I know to be God's will, what I can point to chapter and verse about? And my answer to that would be no. We want to pray in a way that pleases God. We don't want to pray for things that are known to be outside His will, but we're just creatures. We, we are not the Creator. We don't always know what is in His will. So I think that we should pray about all things, 
you should pray for your own sanctification and that that your your cousin would come to faith or mm. someone's upcoming um, you know uh, spiritual struggles that they're in and you're trying to to pray for them to have wisdom all those things absolutely but you can also pray for a job interview to go well and a test to go well and for your car to make it to the next gas station before it runs out and for your baby to please just stop crying and fall asleep. All of those things are, are perfectly appropriate to pray about. Clay, I also am reminded to keep a balance. Uh, I had Daniel Henderson on who has a ministry called Strategic Renewal, and he said something to me that's really stuck with me. He said we spend more time praying to get saints out of the hospital than we do lost people out of hell. Mm, yeah, that is, uh, that's a convicting one, and that is a challenge. Uh, in some ways, it's probably more comfortable to pray uh, and stay focused only on practical, material needs, mm -hmm. uh, it, to, to include health and things like that, than yes. to get into spiritual needs. Because, you know, when you're praying for spiritual things, uh, you, you know that it is going to demand something of you. If you're going to pray for uh, strength to resist temptation, or pray for making a wise decision in a difficult situation, or you know all of those things. Praying for your your sanctification to grow more like Christ. You know, there's a lot of hard work that comes with that. And I think uh, on a personal level, we shy away from those things. And then when we're in a group, maybe sometimes it's a lot less vulnerable to simply pray for you know a sprained ankle or even something more serious. I'm mm -hmm. not not to belittle praying for someone who has cancer or oh, something like that. Yeah, but those things can be a little bit more easier uh, for us to approach with people than to have them pray for, you know, some deep struggles that we're facing. Yes, but I, at, I would agree. At the end of the day, if you're worried about something, you should pray about that thing. Philippians 4, 6, we're told not to be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So don't be anxious about anything. Instead, in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, there's some important elements of your prayers, let your requests, plural, be made known to God. We should be praying all the time. Pray without ceasing, the Bible says, and that's going to include all sorts of things, whether it is something um, as comparatively trivial as, as a job interview or praying, like you mentioned, we should be praying for the salvation of lost souls. So praying for your job interview to go well, and praying for your new boss to come to Jesus Christ in, in faith and repentance and be saved, both should be elements in your prayer life. And obviously the the weight and probably the, the bulk of those should be in the latter category. Yeah, Clay, I agree. And I think the only reason I brought that up was just to have a balance to make sure, remind people, including myself, that as much as I pray for uh, people's sicknesses and ailments and their need to recover from all kinds of things that I am putting an equal amount of energy into praying for people who are on my list, who are outside the family of God, who aren't in a, a right relationship with the Lord, that I pray that God would open their heart, that, that they would see the truth to come to faith in Christ. Absolutely. And and we, we don't know uh, perfectly the mind of God, but we know uh, you know that that is the type of prayer that the Lord delights to to answer, and and that would certainly be something that we are called to pray earnestly and unceasingly for, and, and just put that in God's hands. But we should uh, we should have that heart for others, 
And it's somewhat cyclical. If we put the intentionality, I mean, you just mentioned having a list. If we put the intentionality into praying for those things, watch as your heart grows for those people and and watch how you increasingly not only um, take advantage of opportunities to talk to them about about the gospel, but you seek, you create opportunities for to talk to them about the gospel. So it really uh, it develops us as a whole person, a whole Christian to pray and keep our prayers focused on those things. Mm-hmm. And I love that the passage in Philippians you were talking about, um, you know, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, I love the next two words, Clay, with thanksgiving. I sometimes have checked my own motives when I've gone to God because I've sometimes gone to God with such anxiety uh, or such desperation, not that he's not okay with that, not that he can't handle it, but I always need to make sure my spirit is one of thanksgiving. Absolutely, and I think we can um, we can rightly be corrected by Scripture in those things about you know praying with an element of of uh, fear or anxiety or concern or even struggling with doubts. And I think uh, the solution to that is not to beat ourselves up, but to turn those things into the very next prayer that we utter. You know, Lord, you know that I am struggling to trust you with this. Uh, and, and we we make those those failures, those failings, those struggles that we have, turn those into prayers. Don't just sit and wallow in them, but just be open with God and say, God, I am having a difficult time trusting you to take care of this situation. Please help me to to rely on you and not myself. You know, mm-hmm. things like that. It's all those things are triggers in our mind of, should I be praying about this? Yes, I should. Mm-hmm. So, Clay, we just have a couple minutes left. I'd like to go back to my opening uh, comment I made about people who may be praying uh, in a community prayer, and they just stop and say amen, and there's no in Jesus' name. And then somebody comes to you and says, hey, Clay, that prayer I just heard, does that count? Yeah, a- absolutely. So, again, uh, to to assume that it doesn't, uh, count would probably be putting that the words in that that slightly towards that magical category. Right. Uh, really, when we are saying that we're praying in Jesus' names, it means in Jesus' name. It means that we approach God based on Christ's merit, not our own. That we seek to please Jesus and not ourselves, and that we treasure God's glory above our desires. If that's your heart, you are in essence praying in Jesus' name. Uh, I do think that that we ought to have it in a pattern of our prayers to say that most of the time, mm-hmm. if not all the time. But uh, certainly, it didn't uh, bounce off the ceiling in the church if someone didn't say in Jesus' name, <laughs> right. Amen, at the end. Right. Delight having you on the program, Clay. Thank you so much for taking time today. I appreciate you having me. Thanks yeah, so much. Been great. Clay Craby has been my guest. Go to reasonabletheology.org to learn his, uh, about him and his writing. It's all there. He's got articles, podcasts, and all kinds of good stuff. We'll take a break. When we come back, a little Friday with friends with my guest, Sarah Peterson. Be right back.
And I do a segment called Friday with Friends. And I, I love that segment because it gives me a chance to talk to my friends. And my guest in studio today is Sarah Peterson. She's the daughter of a very, very dear friend of mine. And I always uh, look forward to these times when I can uh, catch up with what's going on in the lives of friends. And uh, we're going to find out today what's going on in Sarah's world. Sarah, welcome. Thank you so much, Phil, for having me. Yeah, so mm-hmm. I had a chance to talk to your sister, Claire, not that long ago, and I thought if I ever get a chance to talk to Sarah, I'm going to do it. Thank you. And here you are. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. So uh, much like Sarah, you had a very interesting upbringing. You are originally from Minnesota, mm-hmm. but you and your family moved uh, overseas at a pretty young age. Tell us about that. That's right. I was born in Minnesota here in uh, Minneapolis, and as about three-month-year-old kid, I was, uh, we, we moved as a family to London, and I spent my entire childhood there. We, we were in London until I was about 16. Oh, wow. Yeah. But you started French immersion school the minute you got there. Mm-hmm. What were you, four? Yep, I was about four. We went to French school, um, and I never even remember what the start of that was like. It just kind of, you know, I, I absorbed the language right. as a child, and it was a great experience. I loved going to French school there. Well, let me just say bonjour. <laughs> bonjour, <I> vous <laughs> Well, you said so much better than I do. But as a, a kid that shows up, you're a young kid in a different country, although you're just with your family. So, mm-hmm. you know, home is where your family is, right? Yeah, that's but, right. But you're trying to learn English and then you're trying to learn French at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, I think that's uh, fascinating because our, our brains are such sponges at that mm-hmm. young age. Mm-hmm. I don't ever remember it being difficult or a problem it just was what i was used to it's what i knew so it was french at school that's the key isn't it Mm -hmm. is get your kids involved young yeah when their brains are just they don't they don't even know they're not challenged by it yeah they just get to school and they start talking french yeah that's nuts yeah it was fun yeah so you ended up graduating from uh high school in london so we moved to singapore when i was in high school as a 16 year old we um, moved there, and I finished high school in Singapore at the French school as well. Okay. Yeah. And then you had uh, an interest to do more language language work, mm-hmm. and you got interested in Chinese. That's right. Okay. I, I had been interested in Chinese as a 12-year-old. I loved China. I watched Disney's Mulan as a child, and I thought it was the coolest thing ever, so I was interested to learn Chinese. And in about 2003, China was really taking off as as a country where you know, you'd look to that and see you know, China Chinese being the language of the future. So I was I was pumped to to get involved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and obviously you have no fear of learning languages. I think for some people it's such a mental block. Yeah, like I should just speak personally. Yeah, maybe when you're exposed to languages as a child, you you become less afraid of them as an adult. I would and, think yeah, that's true. Yeah. It's like the, a person that can play uh, you know uh, a one instrument doesn't fear picking up another one. Mm-hmm. But if you don't, if you've never done it before and now you're an adult, it gets yeah. a little bit more intimidating. Yeah. Yeah. So you learned Chinese and how did you learn Chinese? So I learned Chinese through a Chinese summer camp here in Minnesota hmm. called Concordia Language Villages. They have languages across the board. Um, the Chinese one is the one that I always went to. So I went every summer and it's an immersion program where you go and you do all the activities that a normal summer camp would do, like canoeing and, 
you know, sports and they would have some more cultural activities as well, like paper cutting and calligraphy and some other Chinese related activities. And, and that would all be conducted in Chinese in the language. So, mm-hmm. um, I learned a lot through that. I think most of the Chinese I've learned has been, um, built up through that experience. I, I studied it in college as well, but the real memories that stick out the most come from my summer camp experience as a teenager. Yeah. Sarah, let's back up to London because I want to talk a little bit more about your experience there. People in America, when they hear about people in the UK, we always think that they're uh, spiritually a little cold. Mm-hmm. Like they're, they're, they don't have quite the interest that we do have in America in evangelical uh evangelicalism and and faith did you find that to be true i mean there is definitely a cultural difference in a sense just between americans and british people uh, using every generalization possible (laughs) (laughs) um but but i would say that the uh, the spiritual experience i've had in both the uk and the u.s has been there there have been great mentors and um, great churches that I've been a part of. And I've, I've felt that no matter whether it's in the U S or in London, I, I feel that both, um, of my experiences across those two countries have, have shaped my, um, faith journey in a positive way. So the cultural differences are just a side point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then talk about, if you would, your faith story. I love hearing stories. I never, ever tired of hearing people say, this is uh, the day that I came to understand, or this was the time in my life where I came under, came to understand that, that I wanted to know Jesus personally. Mm. So I grew up in a Christian home and we went to church every Sunday and I went to Sunday school, a youth group. And I would say that I always believed in God and believed in Christ. Um, I can pinpoint a time in my life when I was maybe 10 or 11, where I consciously accepted Christ into my heart. And I would say that was the marked starting point of my faith journey from then, although it was built up from you know, the very young ages of, uh, of early childhood as well. Um, and then through college, I would say that would be the time when my faith became more my own and I learned how to um, live it out in, you know, in, in a more personal way. Mm-hmm. I would say it was was in college. So I, I think those those two points of accepting Christ as a child and then um, owning my faith more for myself in college, those would be the sort of transformational points if you had to pinpoint two. Yeah, but when you get to college, you, you find that your faith is going to start to get tested in new ways, mm-hmm. tested in ways that you didn't see coming. For sure. What was that like when you started to find that there were people that would uh, completely disagree with your faith mm. position and go... Sarah, I like you as a friend, but you're kind of nuts. <laughs> um, maybe my first year, I didn't ever encounter that because I I wasn't very, um, I wasn't super active in church or in faith. I think the first year of college was more um, just getting getting started at university in a new environment, moving back to the UK. And so I did go to church a couple of times back then, but it, it wasn't a huge part of my life. So those questions never really came up. Um, but my faith was definitely still there. It just wasn't as active. And it was more in in my second year of college where I felt that I wanted to be part of church. I wanted to go to small group. I wanted to learn how to wrestle through um, practical you know, issues of living out our faith as students at university um, with other believers who wanted that too. So um, I'd say that maybe some questions came up around, you know, people who didn't 
believe around uh, the time when I started going to church, more people would have some questions as to, oh, that's a bit weird or whatever. But I, I didn't really mind. I think as long as I had um, a community around me of, of people who were like-minded and I, I had really strong friends at church, mm-hmm. I didn't feel that afraid of, of you know, being more open about my faith, especially around those who um, didn't necessarily believe. But um, I had great friends across sort of all all different walks yeah. of life at, at universities. Some of my really close friends aren't believers. Some of my really close friends are. Um, so it was it was just a wonderful environment to have friends across uh, ev- from everywhere mm-hmm. and uh, of different beliefs and um, and some some great conversations arose yeah. from those friendships too. You've mentioned university a couple times or college. Where was that university? That was in the UK. The UK. Yeah. What what university? Cambridge. Oh, Cambridge. Mm-hmm. That's kind of uh, kind of a big deal, isn't it? <laughs> I wouldn't say it really matters well, anymore. It sounds very impressive. <laughs> yeah, it was a great college. I, I had a great time there. Yeah. Yeah. So you had a, a, a quite a variety, I would imagine, of uh, very gifted intellectual kind of brains around you. Oh, for sure. Yeah, people for who sure. really were really smart. Yes. And they had definite opinions. And did they have room for God in their life? Did you find that they had all they felt they needed and God was something that they didn't really need to think about too much? Yeah, there was definitely an element of that. I think um, for all of us, I think when when things are going well at school and you're performing well and you're in a very intellectually stimulating environment, you have lots of friends. So that was, that was the case for a lot of kids that at university and myself included feeling like things generally go pretty well. It is a challenge to make room for God. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you realize at different points that you really do need him and you do need to find your worth in him because things like grades or, you know, people around you, those ultimately aren't lasting mm-hmm. um, things in life. So I, I definitely was confronted with, with myself just needing to to run to God and to to rely on Him as my strength and my help, um, even though um, most for the most part things things always went pretty well at school. Um, mm-hmm. But I wouldn't say I had a moment of of you know deep um, crisis. But but it was more uh, just a kind of gradual um, sense of of needing the Lord um, mm-hmm. because you always come across challenges, whether they're big challenges or small challenges. From um, you know a general perspective, I think whatever the challenge is, it, it does bring us to our knees and, um, and mean that we, you know, we do need to rely on the Lord. Mm-hmm. I'm talking to Sarah Peterson. This is Friday with friends. And, uh, Sarah, when you were at Cambridge, I am guessing, uh, there were a lot of friends, people that you knew that when they were in trouble, they would come to you because they knew there was something different about you. Yeah. I bet you. I bet you were the the go to girl. <laughs> oh, I don't know about that. I, I definitely had go to people, uh, you know, that I can think of um, at university who I would I would go talk to about um, about whatever challenges would come my way. And I'm really grateful for those friendships. So I hope the people felt the same way about me too. I'm not sure, but um, but definitely some great conversations emerged from those four years at university of um, really deep friendships and really sharing. Uh, lots about about life and um, about growing in the Lord and and even you know the more trivial things as well. Mm-hmm. You talk about the university in four years. That's something that's a little foreign to me, but mm-hmm. that's okay. It mm-hmm. Took me, I think, five and a half. But um, <laughs> when you got out of uh, university, what did you decide you wanted to uh, do next? Hmm. So I had always thought about becoming a lawyer even before I went to university. That was on my mind. 
and I never felt particularly called to a specific vocation, but law seemed to be something that would start out as a, a good base for whatever I wanted to do next. So I thought, okay, I'll, I'll do law. And, um, and I, I went uh, to law school after that, after I graduated, and I started the path to becoming a, a lawyer in, in, in Hong Kong, um, which is where I ultimately began my, my career there. So the path to becoming a lawyer in Hong Kong is, is a little bit different to how it is in the U.S., um, but it was a great experience, and I'm very thankful for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just kind of threw that in there, uh, and the listeners are going, whoa, whoa, wait, back up a little bit. <laughs> lawyer in Hong Kong. How do you just all of a sudden wake up and now you're a lawyer in Hong Kong? Well, I had been doing internships at law firms throughout my university years. So in the summers, I would do um, internships that were offered at corporate law firms in Hong Kong. I did one in Singapore as well. And I enjoyed that. I loved the training and I used those vacation schemes is what they call them um, in those law firms as a platform for applying for jobs. And so I started applying for jobs in Hong Kong um, where they offered uh, what, what's called training contracts, which are two-year contracts that um, you join the law firm on those and they train you up to be a lawyer. And once you've completed that, you join them as an associate and then you are a fully-fledged lawyer. So that was that was the path um, to how I became um, a lawyer in Hong Kong mm-hmm. and yeah, it feels like a long time ago. Now. Yeah. So you've been living in Hong Kong for the last seven years for the most part. Yes. Okay. Yes, that's right. Now you're a Minnesota girl via London, via Singapore, now living in Hong mm-hmm. Kong. That's a lot of activity and that's a lot of change and a lot of cross-cultural things. What is it like as a Minnesota, Minnesota born woman who is a, a Bible believing Christian now living in Hong Kong? Mm. It's interesting. There's lots of people like that as well um, in Hong Kong who come from different walks of life, from different countries. Yeah. It's a super international place. Um, at this point, that's a little bit under threat. Lots of people leaving uh, given the climate at the moment. But there's still a number of people like me who are there still. So I can relate to a lot of folks who, who are there who come from the U.S. originally or the U.K. originally different countries it doesn't feel like i stand out in hong kong i think um it draws people from from all over the world Mm -hmm. so in that respect i've never felt like an outsider in hong kong um and it's it's a place that i've i've called home for for my whole sort of adult life post-university so it doesn't it doesn't feel like a a foreign country to me Mm -hmm. what was it like finding a church and a community there when you got there yeah, I, I I went to a couple different churches when I first arrived. Um, I started going more consistently to the church that eventually became um, my church home for a while, which was called Community Church. And I knew the pastor and his wife um, from my very early childhood years, um, and they became great mentors to me. Um, and so I, I originally um, just felt a connection to that church, particularly because of my personal connection to um, Steve and, and Marion there. So that was that was great to immediately feel a sense of belonging, a mm-hmm. sense of home. Um, of you know the as, as a I don't know how old I would have been at that time, but twenty twenty four year old maybe twenty three, um, and and getting to to know them better. But but having that immediate personal co- connection was really helpful for finding a church home. Mm-hmm. 
I'm talking to Sarah Peterson. This is Friday with Friends. We're going to take a little break, and we will be right back. Sarah Peterson as my guest today. I call this little segment Friday with Friends. I always like to catch up with friends and I do it periodically. And uh, Sarah is uh, nice enough to join me in studio today to talk about her life. And uh, she has been a cross-cultural sort of uh, woman of the world. She has uh, grew up in London and also lived in Singapore and then has been the last seven years living in Hong Kong. And Sarah, I'm just thinking of the, the sense of uh, longing that I feel for home, loved ones, family. Yeah, are you lonely at times? <laughs> um, I'm, I'm really thankful for great Remember people around me. Remember, your parents are listening. Yeah. So. <laughs> no, I, I feel so blessed to have amazing people in my life. And I feel thankful for really deep, um, just deep relationships Good. around me from my childhood onwards. And uh, I, I don't, I don't, feel that loneliness is something that characterizes the way that I feel a mm-hmm. lot of the times. I mm-hmm. think, um, I, but, but I can imagine how, um, you know, if I'm, if I'm feeling scared or afraid, I guess loneliness does, does creep in at those times sometimes. And, but I know that I'm never alone. You know, the Lord is always there. He's my help. And, um, I'm, I'm thankful for, for having his spirit guiding me. Mm-hmm. When I think of some of the proverbs that I love, like, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. I, I, I'm thinking of this verse for you in terms of you make so many uh, choices that seem to be really big risks. Mm. And if you don't have the Lord in your life, I don't know how you would take one step forward. Mm-hmm. That's true. I, I do cling to that um, verse in Proverbs and as well as the verse in Romans that says... God works out all things in accordance with his will for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. I love that promise that God will take every thread of our story and weave it into something um, that brings him glory and brings us blessing. And that is such an encouragement to me as I step out in life and make choices. But I don't feel that um, any of the choices I have made up until now are anything you know, that risky. It doesn't feel that way when I look back, but maybe, maybe to someone looking from the outside in, it, it, it seems that, you know, moving to Hong Kong or doing this, that, or the other seems, oh, that, what a risk, but didn't feel that way to me. Mm-hmm. This is a little bit of you so familiar with your own story that you're not even completely aware <laughs> of how big it feels to us listening, that you have done all you've done and you've taken on uh, a new opportunity in Hong Kong for seven years and you went there and you know to me that it that seems like a pretty significant step mm-hmm. and you're just so used to doing what you do and relocating the way you've relocated and 
facing the challenges that that God has put in your in your path that you're kind of used to it. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of a big deal, Sarah. Just want to tell you. Um, well, I'm thankful for for my parents having um, just brought me up in in a way that enables me to step out in faith and to um, to grow. I think as a kid, when when you're living in London and um, you know that your parents have moved there and they took a step of faith to do that um, and to leave Minnesota and go to London and, you know, we're, we're there because of them. And, you know, they took the step of faith to put us in French school. And I think those things do impact me in, in terms of knowing that it's okay to step out and to, to take something that might seem like a bit of a risk, but ultimately it's something that has huge opportunity attached to it. Yeah, for sure. So I feel that that has inspired me and my choices. And sometimes we don't know what the road ahead will look like, but we step out and we, we pray that God would just bring all of it to fruition in terms of what his plan is for us. Mm-hmm. I love the fact that you quoted Romans eight twenty eight. I love that verse. Mm-hmm. I've memorized it myself. And can you uh, translate that verse off the top of your head right into French? Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> is that putting you on the spot a little a bit? A little bit. I mean, I, I think I can have a go, but I, I would say that I, I haven't ever lived my spiritual life in French and okay. I don't really read the Bible in French. I think I can try. Oh gosh. I, reminding me of the fact that when you're completely taken out of your environment totally. and you haven't grown up in a sort of French spiritual um, environment, having that language and that vocabulary for spiritual stuff is quite weird oh, doing it in French. I'll just read it out in French because I'm actually interested to to hear what the translation is in French. Romans 8, 28 in French. Nous savons du reste que toute chose concourant au bien de ceux qui aiment Dieu, de ceux qui sont appelés selon son dessein. Uh, so that's 8.28. And then I think we need to do 8.29 as well. Um, so I will do this. Okay, from the top, 8.28 to 8.29 together. Is, Nous savons du reste que toute chose concourant au bien de ceux qui aiment Dieu, de ceux qui sont appelés selon son dessein, car ceux qu'il a connus d'avance, il les a aussi prédestinés à être semblables à l'image de son fils, avec, afin que son fils fût le premier-né entre plusieurs frères. That's fantastic. This I, is the word of the Lord. <laughs> believe it or not, I understood exactly what you said. Yeah, o- only because yeah, I was you really put along. me on the spot there. I, I do well, not know how to translate the Bible in French off the top of my head. All uh, right. Well, maybe we should make it even more difficult. Should we try to take that verse in Chinese now? Oh, or gosh, Mandarin? I can try. Um, let me. I, I, I do have to cheat, though, and put it up on my phone. That's and, fine. and I can read it out to you. Okay. Is this going to be but, in Chinese or in Mandarin? So Chinese is the umbrella language of of all you know Chinese dialects Mandarin is sort of one branch of of Chinese so the version that I will read to you in Mandarin is uh is the predominant dialect in in China I can hardly wait (laughs) trust me believe me this has never happened before on the afternoon show and I think this is one of the advantages of Fridays with friends is you get friends on and friends do some pretty cool stuff and they have some pretty interesting stories and your story is amazing. So, have you ever done this with with people before? I mean, uh, like putting them on the spot in this yes, way. <laughs> yes, I have. I, I, actually, I have done that before because yeah. I love hearing God's word in different languages. Okay, it's really it's exciting for me. So the text in Chinese, and I, I struggle to read traditional characters in, and, and in just Chinese. Just so you know, Sarah, I do too. <laughs> okay, All okay. Right. So I'm going to read it out to you. So it says, "我们小的万事都互相效力，叫爱神的人的益处。” 
，就是按他旨意被召的人，因为他预先所知道的人，就预先定下小法他儿子的模样，使他儿子在许多弟兄呃众做长子。I don't know how how correct that was, but、uh, I did my best. <laughs> yeah, well, I have to tell you, I followed along with、uh, none of that. So thank you, but it was very interesting.、Mm. Yeah, yeah, yes, I think you did a great I, job. Yes, me too. It does、uh, remind me that I do need to brush up on some of these、uh, these languages. But but I think with all things, if you're not immersed in it fully at a certain point, it, you do lose vocabulary and you、mm. do lose that sense of fluidity in the language. So I've I've definitely experienced that where I've been. Living in China, and then my language skills feel a lot more fluid. And then when I'm taken out of that context and I'm not using it every day, it definitely gets rusty. And、mm-hmm. and I guess it's the same with French. But I think the the weird thing about French is that it's it's definitely ingrained in me as as a language that I will never forget for like everyday stuff. And Sarah, we just are a little bit out of time here. But when you look at the different cultures and places you've lived, and the way in which the world seems a little nuts right now, does it seem a little nuts to you? Yeah. Okay.、Sure. So, do you do you feel、uh, as a younger person that you have、um, optimism in life? Definitely. Good. <laughs> that's the answer I was looking for. <laughs> I do. Yeah, that's terrific. I feel encouraged. Yeah, and and I'm so pleased that、uh, you know the Lord and that you are an ambassador for Christ wherever you go and wherever you live. Thank you. Yeah,、Thank、it makes、you. me very happy. Sarah <laughs> Peterson has been my guest. You've been listening to Fridays with Friends. We'll take a little break and we'll be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at myfaithradio.com.